This is the Everyday AI Show, the everyday podcast where we simplify AI and bring its power to your fingertips. Listen daily for practical advice to boost your career, business, and everyday life. Data, privacy, and AI aren't always two things that go hand in hand. Uh, it's it's something that I think so many businesses and individuals are are worried about uh, when it comes to using different generative AI tools is what happens with my data? We're going to tackle that today with an expert in AI privacy who I'm very excited to have on the show. So if you're joining us live, please take part in the conversation, ask some questions. Uh, I think it's going to be a very informative conversation. So my name is Jordan Wilson, and this is Everyday AI. It's a daily live stream podcast and free daily newsletter helping everyday people like me, like you, not just make sense of what's going on in the world of AI, but how we can actually make it work for us. All right. So before we get in our discussion on data privacy and AI governance, uh, let's go ahead and go over what's happening in the world of AI news. So we actually have a couple of things related to, to privacy and governance. So uh, starting off, uh, Google just announced a new way that they are going to be watermarking AI images. So they obviously um, announced this a couple months back at their annual conference, but uh, it was just released now, uh, you know, within the last couple of hours, uh, that DeepMind, which is essentially Google's uh, AI uh, specialty arm, so to speak. So uh, this is a DeepMind product and it's called SynthID and it will watermark and label images that have been created with AI. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out. All right, next, uh, the Microsoft president just said that AI needs human control to be safe. All right, so in an exclusive interview with CNBC, uh, Microsoft president Brad Smith warned, and I quote, that AI has the potential to become both a tool and a weapon. Um, so this is obviously something we've heard about before, uh, but if you wanted to check out more on what Brad Smith said, make sure to check out that section in the newsletter. All right. And our third news story of the day, definitely, it might be last, but not the least. So Chat GPT Enterprise has been released. So this was announced months ago, and we covered it on the show when it was announced. But uh, OpenAI has released, uh, finally, the enterprise, uh, enterprise version of ChatGPT, a much more locked down version, uh, kind of geared more toward data privacy. So um, this is uh, something that OpenAI has been working on for many months. Um, I don't even know what all of these uh, terms mean. It's it's SOC2 compliant. Uh, that's a certain level of, of compliancy uh, with data, I believe. So a couple other things, um, details about this ChatGPT enterprise. Not everything's been released. So uh, at least right now, there's no price tag on it yet. But we do know it will be faster. Uh, with no caps or limits on GPT-4 and uh, longer uh, context windows as well. So uh, exciting news on the enterprise front because I know that so many uh, companies are a little hesitant with their data and they don't necessarily want to hand it over uh, to OpenAI or some of these uh, larger companies. Uh, so what a great transition piece for uh, our experts for today. We're going to be talking AI privacy um, and governance. So I'm extremely excited to bring on our guests for today. So please welcome to the show, 
Katharina Corner uh, the, from the Tech Diplomacy Network. Katharina, thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Great to oh, be on the show. Ab- absolutely. This is going to be a fun one. It's, this is such a topic um, that I think a lot of people are talking about. But uh, Katharina, if you could just start us off very general, kind of break down this complex world of AI governance and privacy, uh, just kind of so the everyday person can can understand. What does AI governance and privacy even mean to, to, to the rest of us? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that question. Super important question. So I thought I would start with... Um mentioning that we have some globally accepted privacy principles and which are embedded in many, many privacy and data protection regulations around the world, which are, by the way, popping up here and everywhere, like just getting more and more. Um, And of course, all of those privacy principles also apply to AI systems in case they process personal data. So which are those? Um, So first of all, we have data quality, for example. That means making sure that data used by AI systems is accurate and reliable. So for example, if you're teaching a robot to recognize different kinds of fruits, if if it learns, uh, if this data is, if data it learns from is full of mistakes, for example, calling apples oranges, that wouldn't be very helpful. So second one is data collection limitation. So data minimization is a very important principle always use just the data you really need to collect for a specific task and do not gather extra information. So for example, if you have a fitness app on your uh, phone, if it's asking for a location, but it doesn't need that to count your steps, it's not following this principle. Then we have very important principle of purpose specification. That means the data you collect and process as an organization should only be and only be used for the purpose it was collected for. So let's say you sign up for a gaming app. So the email you, you use that uh, for that gaming app to send you game-related stuff should, of course, not be used to advertise other products. Then we have use limitation. This is uh, meant in that way that you should not use data for anything else other than the original purpose without permission. So you have photos on your social media platform and all of a sudden those photos are used for something else. That would be a breach of this principle. And then what is super important, and I think a lot of people are very aware of this, is transparency. This means being open about what data is collected, why it's collected, how it's used. Let's say um, we order something in a restaurant or we have a recipe. Of course, we want to know which ingredients are used. Maybe I'm allergic to something. So um, you trust that meal more if you know what was, was used. And then lastly, um, I want to mention accountability. If something goes wrong, there should be someone responsible. Um, so those are some privacy principles that also apply to AI systems. And... In, of course, as expected, there are some particular issues on top of that when it comes to AI. So, for example, a big issue is the origin of the data that large language models use. The basis for services just as ChatGPT, uh, um, as you mentioned. Um, <clears throat> and here, usually the data is crawled from the Internet and we have different regulations around the world. It's pretty complex, the world of data scraping. I mean, the regulations about uh, web scraping. So in In the United States in general, the law says if information is freely available in the public, businesses can use it. 
So if you have, um, I don't know, if you wrote something on a poster on a public bulletin board, anyone can read it, anyone can use it. Except for when the website says you can take the information or if it's behind a paywall or if it's behind a, some, your credentials, then you shouldn't. You, I mean, you're not, not allowed to. But in Europe, on the other hand, any information, if it's public or not, is considered personal information that is protected mm -hmm. by the GDPR. So if someone wants to use personal data, they need a good reason and a permission. Um, like ask, you, borrow, uh, you borrow a book from the library, If you don't ask, it's not allowed. So that's something that is very, very relevant in the context of AI and LLMs. And should I, do you want to, I mean, I could go on and on and on. No, no. I mean, I think just right there, we hit on so many uh, different Uh, different points that are so important, you know, making sure data is accurate and reliable, only using it for the correct purposes, which I think is super important. Uh, but also, you know, transparency and, and, you know, understanding that different countries, you know, have different uh, rules and regulations. I think it's important because I think, you know, even here on the show, a lot of times we're talking about how things uh, impact the U.S. But, you know, as, as you see here, you know, Maybrit is joining us from, from Europe, you know, uh, Val right here with a comment is, is joining us uh, from South America. So we do have people tuning in from all over, you know, Bronwyn joining us from South Africa. So thank you all for joining and thank you for your comments. Uh, but one thing, uh, Katharina, that I wanted to talk a little bit more about is kind of how, you know, companies or even individuals or just us as a society, how do we strike a balance between leveraging AI's capabilities, because we always hear about it and, you know, all of the things that generative AI can, can do or make is so exciting. So how do we strike that balance between AI's capabilities and making sure data kind of remains how it should, which is, which is private or only the data that we are wanting, you know, a company to, to uh, collect for the purposes. So how do we strike that balance? Hey, this is Jordan, the host of Everyday AI. I've spent more than a thousand hours inside ChatGPT and I'm sharing all of my secrets in our free Prime Prompt Polish ChatGPT course that's only available to loyal listeners like you. Here's what Lindy, who works as an educational consultant, said about the PPP course. I couldn't figure out why I wasn't getting the results from ChatGPT that I needed and wanted. And after taking the PPP course, I now realize that I was not priming correctly. So I will be heading back into ChatGPT right now to practice my priming, prompting, and polishing. Everyone's prompting wrong, and the PPP course fixes that. If you want access, go to podppp.com. Again, that's podppp.com. Sign up for the free course and start putting ChatGPT to work for you. Well, that's a very, very good question to ask. Um, and I don't know if that's too, goes too far from like the, 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 the main topic of your show, but I have done a lot of work and research in privacy enhancing technologies. So that's usually the answer I give. Um, so a whole new field has emerged with like a vibrant um, startup um, community. Google is using it. Microsoft is implementing it in their products. Uh, something that is called privacy-preserving machine learning and a huge research um, ecosystem as well. So because it's true that with 
traditional privacy protections, often the utility of the data decreases. Um, it might even decre decrease the utility of the data while not even protecting the data very well, which was the mm. first intention. So one example is, um, <laughs> is the protection um, of personal health information under HIPAA. It's a classic example. So that's the U.S. Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. So there are a lot of um, entities covered under HIPAA. So if you process personal health information, you have to comply with this law. It's a federal law in the United States. And under HIPAA, personal health information should be de-identified for protecting patient privacy. So to support research, um, reducing risk, promoting data sharing between hospitals so that we can have better insights in this personal health information. And one accepted method for this is um, so-called, uh, it's a safe harbor method. And that involves that you remove 18 direct identifiers from the data, like name, social security number, medical record numbers, etc. So that law was from, from the 90s. And they really put this into law because usually law is tech neutral. So they formulate it in a phrase it in a way that, you know, it can go with time. But HIPAA really said, strip those 18 identifiers from personal health information, then you're more or less good to go. But in fact, you strip so many identifiers for the reason of privacy protection that it is that that that, that you lose a lot of information. Plus, it is not even good privacy protection because there are many re-identification attacks that can be very successfully, um, you know, um, conducted on mm -hmm. this uh, HIPAA-protected health data. And so now, here is this new ecosystem, these new technologies and approaches that have, that have emerged over the last couple of years that can unlock the valuable insights from the data while protecting privacy. And those are, so to mention a few of them, differential privacy, synthetic, so differential privacy is kind of, um, you randomize responses in, the, in a data set, so you cannot say 100% it is your data in this data set or not? You cannot, you can mathematically prove that it's not possible to tell if your data was in the data set and contributed to the output, yes or no. Then we have synthetic data. So you, uh, build, a, you, you build a new data set that mimics the patterns from the original data set and then you can use it. Or there's something new called, I think it's a very poetic name, homomorphic encryption. It's like you know, it's on a maturity curve, it's it's going up, but it means that you encrypt data and you can still process and have like, um, you know, um, um, conduct computation on this encrypted data without decrypting it. Pretty similar is trusted execution environments. That's a hardware solution um, where you also work, you have uh, like a secure enclave and the encrypted data goes in, only inside it's decrypted and processed and computed upon, and then it leaves the enclave in an encrypted way. Or we have secure multi-party computation. So meaning you can have a common computation and output, but you will never know what actually what was the input. Actually, a classic example is often um, you can conduct uh, an analysis of incomes. What's the average income, for example, or what's the disparity between female and male incomes? But you will not see what the actual input was. Um, so that that those are some of those privacy-enhancing technologies and they're politically supported globally. So we have the US national strategy to advance privacy-preserving data sharing analytics. Earlier this year, I 
wrote an article somewhere, maybe we can post it or whatever. Like there's so many, there's so much policy support for those pets because they're so promising because some of them, as I mentioned, they even protect data in use. So we do know that, you know, protection of data addressed. So securing data when it's stored, that's, you know, state of the art when it's sent. So you protect data in transit. But some of those uh, new technologies can also protect data while in use. And that's a pretty big thing. So we will get there. And of course, like, yeah, please. Wow. No, I'm just, I'm just saying like, I am, y'all, I, I talk about AI every single day. And I don't know about you all listening and tuning in. I am getting a first class education right now from, from Katharina. Like I have so many notes and if you're like me and if you can't keep up with everything, you know, I'm, I'm trying to Google things. I'm writing things down. Don't worry. We are going to be sharing everything in the newsletter. Uh, but I, I do have, uh, you know, one more big question. I think Katharina before, uh, maybe we can get to a comment or two. So if you do have a question, make sure to get it in now, but I want to talk about, um, you know, because you kind of talked about how data privacy and um, AI governance is so much different um, in, in different countries. Um, but one thing that I think is, is really going to be on people's minds, especially here in the U.S., is when we talk about um, AI's impact on democracy, uh, right? Because I think especially here in the U.S., we've already seen it, different uh, political groups using AI in probably ways it was not intended to, uh, to make it seem like a political opponent maybe said something or did something they did not do. Um, so, I, I mean, can you just talk just quickly about kind of the, the, the risks of um, AI just on democracy and how it might influence, you know, public opinion, elections, and even just how we understand democracy? Yeah, I mean, that's a big concern for sure. And it, with the help of AI or machine learning, you for sure can aim or try to influence public opinion in the elections. So first of all, um, with election campaigns, for example, you can target specific groups with tailored messages. I mean, that's nothing new, but uh, you can identify because you can analyze this vast amount of data in such a great way. You can identify potential swing voters or craft messages to really influence the decisions, micro-targeting, so that all leads to manipulation. Manipulation can also be achieved by uh, you know, AI generated deepfake videos. We had examples where like people were already like, um, you know, videos were made as if they had made those videos and <laughs> that was not those people. Um, you have um, filter bubbles more or less. So AI algorithms can personalize content showing individ individuals information that only aligns with their existing beliefs. We have, of course, security risks. That's a big thing. So AI can be used by malicious actors to hack into election systems, manipulate voter registration data, disrupt the voting process itself. And transparency and accountability, I think that's also a big topic also in, in, this, in this regard. So the use of AI in elections and public discourse uh, raises the questions, who is responsible for the AI algorithms that influence public opinion? How can we ensure also in this context that AI is used ethically and responsibly in, mm. responsibly in the political sphere? And this is why in general, also with like, you know, I'm sure you talked about hallucinations um, by um, LLMs or services like ChatGPT, like wrong outputs. I think that education 
is really so important. I don't know exactly how that works, that AI education will um, find its way into, you know, our public education system. But I recently started an initiative just here for the Bay Area. I would, so any school in the Bay Area that wants me and explain AI to them, like to the, to the kids, I'm happy to do that because I think that's just so important. Just as we have like not every single book, just because a book, it's a good book, right? And it's not always like, write what it's in that book just because it's a book and the same is true with actually anything that is on the internet and any output by any system you can never 100% trust you should always you know use your own I don't know um, common sense or prove it with different sources so we have to raise this awareness that we're still self-responsible for um, content that we get from the internet and from really super cool applications like ChatGPT, etc. Yeah, absolutely. And I couldn't agree more with you, Katharina, about the need for better uh, AI um, education in the school systems. Absolutely. Because it seems like so many schools, I just had an episode on this uh, recently. Mm -hmm. So many schools are, you know, shutting it down or not allowing, uh, you know, students to use it when I, personally, I think that's not a good idea. Uh, but okay, so we've covered so many things, but I, I, I do hope we can uh, get, get a question in or two from our audience. So uh, Nancy saying, uh, good morning, glad to be back on the live show. Great to have you, Nancy. Uh, Cecilia uh, saying data is indeed one of the most important assets to manage right after our relationships and strategies. Couldn't agree more. Uh, so a question here, uh, if you wanted to take this one. So Ben is saying, thanks for the comments. And he's asking, is it realistic to expect AI models to be fully transparent and explainable? I think that's a great question. What do you, uh, what would you uh, respond to on, on that one, Katharina? Um, yes, 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 yes. Very good question. So I think for some models or some applications like white box applications, it is possible. So, I mean, the majority of AI is mach machine learning. So if we have a, a simple, I don't know, recommender system and we, uh, the model is a decision tree. So, I mean, it's really a decision tree. Like, I don't know, you know, uh, yeah. I don't know, uh, yeah. you want apples or oranges and then does it have a warm or not or whatever. So in mm -hmm. the end, you have a, a healthy apple or whatever. This is an explainable model. Even it already gets a little bit more in, uh, complicated if you have a simple model that is still tricky, like with a, a random forest. So you have, hundreds of decision trees and then you you know and then you compare the outputs of those or compare them and you find have one model but of, co of course we have black box models and there are many approaches trying to solve the explainability issue but i do not see that the issue is solved so um i think in the future or actually already right now i, I think we will see more ai specific applications uh, i mean uh, sector-specific applications of AI so that models are built from the onset on with explainability in mind. So I know like I recently came across one uh, company focusing only on lender decisions and really having this approach from the very beginning on. And this is very um, natural, a, a very, um, you know, a foreseeable um development i would say because we have those principles privacy by design so you have to build privacy in the whole architecture from the from the design phase on or we have security by design so now we have responsible ai by design so you have to build them from the beginning i think with a lot of models that have already been built you will probably not 
achieve full transparency and explainability. So I'm totally wow. with you here. Wow, what what a great response, tackling that from all possible angles. Uh, so I think we have time for hopefully one more question here, uh, uh, Katharina. So uh, May Britt asking, because you, you, know, you, you talked already about how different countries are handling um, privacy differently. So May Britt's question is, do you find a specific country or area more effective in their AI privacy and AI governments, because obviously, you know, the EU and some other, uh, you, you know, countries throughout um, throughout the world uh, kind of govern their their, their AI privacy and, and, and data much differently than here in the US, uh, USA, which essentially, at least for now, is self governance uh, from from the largest you know companies here in the US. So, what's your take? Are there certain uh, you, you know, in, in your opinion, in your experience? Are there certain areas or countries that are maybe more effective um, at data governance and, and AI privacy? Um, I mean, yes, of course, the first thought is the EU has already this uh, golden standard of data protection with mm -hmm. the uh, GDPR and is coming up with the EU AI Act, which will also have extraterritorial effect because if you will offer your services in the EU, you will also have to comply with the EU AI Act, classifying AI systems into different risk categories, etc. But um, I mean, what is what is effective? I mean, if there's also this concern that those <laughs> that the that's a good new good point, new yeah. AI Act is so effective that it will actually might um, you know hinder uh, hinder uh, help me here with the word like you know the, the startup scene like you know make it more difficult Growth. for companies. Yeah, it might stop Growth. companies from being able to grow fast. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, what is effective? And also, I just wanted to mention because you said um, you talked about the US. You mentioned that we do already have a lot of regulations also in the US which apply to AI. It's not that there is nothing here. So we have a lot of sectoral law. There are a lot of uh, state laws now popping up, which tackle AI. A lot of uh, AI issues are also um, regulated under privacy law. So there's not nothing. It's just so complex. It's like a patchwork. So um, more effective, but I think more effective would mean it's uh, there's legal clarity. So I think if we have one law in the EU and maybe one law or executive order or whatever in the United States on a federal level, that will make it more effective. And I think this will be coming. So this was a kind of, um, yeah, not, not, not so clear of an answer, but, you know, some thoughts. It's, no, I mean, but that's, that's such a good point because, um, you know, one person's definition of effective AI privacy and governance might need, might mean to someone else, you know, stunting business growth or you know keeping companies from fully scaling uh, at the pace to to which they uh, might want. So uh, we tackled so many important topics uh, on today's show, Katharina. Thank you so much for joining us because I know we went all over the horn. Uh, thank you for sharing your expertise um, and knowledge with us all. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, everyone. All right. All right. And just as a quick reminder, like Val is saying, looking for the newsletter on the topic, uh, don't worry, go to youreverydayai.com. Or if you're listening on the podcast, just look at the show notes. You'll find a link there because we're going to be sharing some of the uh, articles that Katharina mentioned that she wrote. And we had so much in this episode dealing uh, with, with AI privacy and government. So don't worry, go sign up at youreverydayai.com. So thank you for joining us. And we hope to see you back again for another edition of Everyday AI. Thanks, y'all.
And that's a wrap for today's edition of Everyday AI. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a rating. It helps keep us going. For a little more AI magic, visit youreverydayai.com and sign up to our daily newsletter so you don't get left behind. Go break some barriers and we'll see you next time.